Father, as we open up Scripture this morning, we're surprised to find ourselves again being seen in this mirror of life. Be this Word of God, in this this case, three and a half thousand years old. It tells us a story of what it means to live in the modern era, as much as it did three and a half thousand years ago. And we thank you, Lord, that your Word is powerful. It is strong for breaking down strongholds. It is like a knife when it comes to the things of the heart. And we just pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds be open today, that we would hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been doing a series on the life of King David. Uh, King David started off, as many of you will appreciate, uh, being picked up in this story as a boy, just a little lad. And the reason why he was being sought after was Israel needed a new king. Israel needed a new king because the old king, King Saul, had really been giving everybody grief, particularly God, by disobeying God. And there was an older guy prior to him called Samuel. Samuel being the prophet. And he had anointed Saul as king. And then when he saw Saul failing, he went and he anointed David as king. And so here we had the king who was in trouble with God and the king in the making pressing through, proving to everybody that he was a great investment and God had got it right. Whereas Saul had got it right, but his ego started to get in the way. His ego had got in the way to the point where his, his spirit of entitlement had come upon him, where he felt he was owed everything and that he could push people around and that he didn't have to obey God. Basically, Saul had entered into a time where his ego was driving his rebellion. His ego was driving his rebellion. And one of the stories that really tipped the scales was when God told Saul to go out, take the armies of Israel, and go out and attack the neighbors. The neighbors were giving people grief. And God said, we've got to destroy these folks. Okay, good Old Testament war. And when he did this, God told him to say, told, told Saul, when you leave after the battle, you're to destroy all of the animals. Well, Saul went out to battle. They beat the Amalekites. But when the end of the battle came, they took the animals home. And there's a little bit of humor that happens when the old prophet Samuel comes and pays a visit to Saul. And he says, Saul, what is it that I hear in the background there? I hear sheep baying and cows mooing. And they sound like Amalekite baring and mooing. Maybe the cows and the sheep had an accent, I don't know. But what Saul did was he took this as some booty for himself and for the men. But he disobeyed God. And in that moment, Saul said, listen. Uh, Sorry, Samuel said, listen, you've disobeyed God. That's it. God's had enough of you. This wasn't just a one-off deal. Saul had been upsetting God for a long period of time, and his disobedience had been growing and growing and growing to the point where God said, that is enough, we need to find another king. And so Saul let the Amalekites keep their positions, and ultimately that tipped the balance. And then when he found out that his neighbor, this young boy at the time, David, from the same town that he came from, the town of Bethlehem, when he found out that he was going to replace him as king, he thought, I can stop God's plans. I can thwart God's plans. How do I do that? Well, I'll kill David. 
Even though he's popular with everybody, even though he'd slayed Goliath, if I kill him, I will stop David from becoming king and my family will continue to inherit the throne. And so Saul tries to kill David to alter God's will. And this, of course, is folly. This, of course, is folly. When God's got it in mind to do something, God's going to do it in spite of us. The most important thing we can do is agree with what God is doing as opposed to uh, standing in defiance against him. For Saul, we might look at him and feel sorry for him because it seems at this point in time that everything he does is wrong and God is against him. Yes, but there's always a way through this. There's always a way out of it, and it's repentance. It's coming to God in humility with heartfelt sorrow and say, God, I should have chosen your way rather than my way. And that's why this morning it's so exciting to celebrate these baptisms that we've seen, isn't it? Because they're stepping up, these young men and women, and saying, we choose to proclaim Christ publicly. We choose to do things God's way. And uh, to hear these testimonies this morning, um, just a great shout out to you guys and to all the families and folks around who have supported them. But for, for Saul, this was a defining time because in his rebellion, he had chosen not to repent. He'd chosen to press on in the hope that he would keep his family intact on this throne. So here we have this story now continuing. And it's a story where Saul becomes increasingly desperate as the king increasingly desperate. Samuel, the old prophet who had anointed them both as king, has now died. And this caused real grief for Saul because he had always leaned upon Samuel. He didn't have the spiritual maturity to make his own decisions, so he was always going back to Samuel saying, Samuel, what should we do? How should we operate? Whom should we fight against? How should we fight? What is it that we should do? But Samuel had died, and now Saul was in a very desperate place desperate place, and we're going to find out what that looks like. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Just keep your eye on that. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. We're going to have a look at those words soon as well. But here we see Saul's immaturity. Saul has woken up. Samuel is dead. Now there's no big person in the room who he can go and talk to. No big person. Have you ever been in that situation? You get to a stage and age in your life. And you look around the room and you go, we need a big person to make a decision around here. And then you stop and you go, I think that's me. And all of a sudden, maybe with a little baby in your hands, you're going, oh wow, I've got to be spiritually responsible now. I've got to pass my faith on to another generation. Or maybe you've been promoted and you're the boss. Maybe you're the captain of the team. Maybe you're in a position where all of a sudden, through some circumstances, you have to make a decision that you never thought you'd have to make. You are the big person in the room. And for Saul, he woke up to find the Philistines were attacking them. They were in the valley where they often fought because the Philistines always had chariots and horses. The Israelites never had chariots and horses. They said, we don't trust in chariots and horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
But here was the valley filled with Philistines. Saul wakes up one day, goes down to the valley, sees all the Philistines, and it says that he is terror-filled. Terror-filled because why? Because his old buddy Samuel is dead. He's going, oh no, we need a big person, and I can't be big enough. Of course, Samuel, Saul, Saul, Saul I should say, all well, these S's, Samuel tries to consult the Lord, but because of his disobedience, because of his previous disobedience and his lack of repentance, heavens are silent. And we're told here that he tried to consult a prophet, tried to consult using the Urim, and I'll explain that in a moment. He tried to consult the Lord through dreams, but nothing comes back. Have you ever been in a position when you're desperately wanting something, desperately needing an answer, desperately needing something to happen that will tell you that life is going to be okay, that, that, that things that you have to decide upon, there's a decision that needs to be made and you're really looking for an answer? I think we all have those situations, don't we? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, there's one honest person amongst us. Oh yeah. Well, our, um, our daughter and son-in-law, Mal and Dan, uh, some of you would remember them, they've spoken here before. Uh, they are currently on an overseas trip, they're away for six months, and the last couple of weeks they've been walking around the Annapurna circuit in Nepal. And so we kept getting regular updates from them via um, iMessage or text or emails. And uh, anyway, we get this message from them saying, we travelled 30 kilometres today through some mountain roads to begin our trip. Uh, we only travelled 30 kilometres, sorry, it took us 11 hours to travel 30 kilometres. The reason being is that the bus that went an hour ahead of us fell off the cliff. It's like, oh gosh, you know, it's tragic. And so that's the last thing we hear from them as they head off into the hills. And they're gone now for one day, two days, three days, four days, five days. And I'm saying to Michaela, um, isn't it about time we heard from them? Is there something we can do? Who do we ring? What are these guys up to? And then finally, day eight, we get this email and a, and a photograph that got to the top of this, this pass in the Annapurna circuit and, uh, and they had made it to their destination. And then it was all literally downhill from there. Uh, but it's, it's, it's quite nerve-wracking when you're looking for an answer, isn't it? And you're wanting to desperately have some reassurance of something that you're really concerned deeply about. Well, of course, for Saul, this was a pursuing of God's will for him. Even though he'd been in disobedience, he needed to hear God. If there was ever a time he needed to hear God, it was now because the Philistines were ready to attack them. And so what had Saul done? He said it, he sought the Lord through dreams. Okay, that's when you, you go to bed at night and you dream. And you hope that in the dream, the Lord answers you. You know, comes to you and speaks to you. The, the third one there was by prophets. Okay, in other words, you go to the recognized priests and prophets, the people who hear the voice of the Lord. And collectively, they had heard nothing either. Because... God wasn't speaking to them because God wasn't speaking to them because they would have spoken to Saul and God wasn't speaking to Saul. And then there's Urim. Urim is it's a, it's, um, a bit of a confusing thing. The commentators don't really know exactly what Urim is, but it's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like 
rolling dice. Okay? They reckon there could have been two sticks, black and white, or dice with a, a few, few numbers on it, and they would cast those. And if you're looking for a yes, you might get two white sides up. If you're looking for a no, you might get two black sides up. It's a pretty basic way of getting the will of the Lord. But um, even when he tried this, it seems that God wasn't speaking. Maybe you got black and white, white and black, black and white, white and black. Okay, God, you're not speaking to me. Okay, I get it. All right? This is not the way to get the will of the Lord. All right? So what happens? Saul is now desperate. He's going to try any means possible to get a word from God. It says here, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. Now, hold on. Didn't we just read that Saul had kicked out the spirits, spiritists and the mediums from Israel? We just read that, didn't we? And so here he is now so desperate to have some form of spiritual guidance that he's prepared to go to the dark side to find something that will help him reach a conclusion about what he should do about the Philistines that are in the valley. One of the things about the scriptures is that they preempt a lot of these stories. And here's the thing that's been written way before Saul became king. It's said in Deuteronomy 18, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. We can agree with that. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of these same detestable practices. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Consulting mediums, having seances, Ouija boards, horoscopes, all of these things are a form of spiritual adultery. All of these things are chasing revelation spiritual revelation, but it's not from God. You see, the challenge that we face in today's society is this stuff has all been neutralized by Hollywood, neutralized by the media. You know, in my day, we were raised with uh, TV programs like Bewitched. How many of you remember Bewitched with Samantha and she'd twinkle her nose? You know, it's quite funny, isn't it? Um, uh, Samantha, the witch's mother, was called Endora. And uh, you just notice in the scripture we just read where the, the witch was found? Endor. You know, so Endora. So there's a roll on there. There's Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Bewitched and, and all these other no, uh, things that seem to be so normal now. The Harry Potter series trying to normalize witchcraft. And so we are told that this stuff is... Ah, it's just a bit of fun. It's not really significant. And, uh, you know, you can mess around with it, play around with it, do what you want with it. It won't really affect you. But when we go back to the original source, when we go back to Scripture, and we find in Deuteronomy 18, this stuff is written well over 3,500 years ago. This has been something that God established 
way back at the beginning of biblical history. But Samuel disobeyed even his own orders. Remember here it said, now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own tomb of Ramah, town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Not only was Saul chasing down spiritual mediums, but he was a complete hypocrite with his own, uh, his own advice. A classic example of do what I say, but don't do what I do. Okay? Okay, we know what that's like, don't we, parents? Do what I say, don't do what I do. We can all easily be hypocrites at times. But the reason behind this is that Saul had failed to grow up spiritually. Saul had lost his good friend Samuel and now was desperate. And as I said before, he woke up one day and realized that there needed to be a big person in the room and it needed to be him, but he was going to let the team down. One of the things about New Zealand society is that we have grown through a period of the last hundred years where spirituality took on some uh, different forms. A hundred years ago, in 1907, so it's over a hundred years ago, 1907, there was an act of parliament called the Tohunga Suppression Act. This was introduced by Sir James Carroll and Sir Aperana Nata, who were some of the first Māori MPs. And the reason why they pushed this, this through is because they were really concerned about Maori spirituality and the fact that it was having a negative impact it was having upon the health and the well-being of, uh, of the Maori, Maori community. Essentially, a tohunga would be the equivalent of a witch doctor. They've classed themselves up a little bit more now. They're not quite so out there spiritually. But they're more herbalists now. Uh, and that act was um, uh, repealed in 1963 to allow for alternative medicine to be part of the Maori culture. But the reason they did it originally was because of the spiritual bondage that a lot of the Maori people had. T.W. Ratana, the Ratana movement in the 1930s, T.W. Ratana uh, was really, really big in his ministry on breaking curses, breaking curses of matuku on marais uh, over people and causing that it, it caused huge amount of bondage over years and generations. So he was all for the Tohunga Suppression Act. So what I'm saying here is that in our, in our native culture here in New Zealand, there's been a lot of spirituality which has been negative. Why? Because we don't have scripture, they didn't have scripture like we do now, and now I think there's a greater understanding of it. But Saul, he failed to grow up spiritually. He failed the test when it came to putting himself in a position of leadership. He failed to trust God. He failed to seek God. He failed to uh, stand in that gap, what is needed at times when a leader has to stand up and say, this is what we're going to do, God has spoken. One of the things about seeking a spiritualist or a medium is that what you're effectively doing is inviting a curse upon yourself. It may look like a lot of fun to go along and have someone predict your future, read your tea leaves, read your palms, uh, consult the dead on your behalf. But essentially you're bringing a curse upon yourself. A friend of Michaela's and mine, over 30 years ago, went and saw a medium. And uh, as she was talking with this medium, the medium looked at her and said, you're going to get married twice in your life. The first husband you have, you will divorce him. Now just think about that for a moment. 
What does that do to you when you're falling in love with somebody and you think, I should marry that person? But hold on, there's something in the back of my head I remember. That's right, I'm going to divorce that person. So now you're in a conundrum. Yeah? This woman that I'm speaking of is uh, a couple of years older than myself. She's never been married and never had any children. Because why? Because she got told that that first husband she would divorce. Do you see how this, this conundrum has been created? Essentially, it's a curse upon her life. And this is what happens when we go and seek out the future. Uh, there's an old friend of my dad's who got told that he would die at the age of 53 by a medium. He lived very cautiously at the age of 53, and uh, he's in his 80s and he's still alive. But he was convinced, he told everybody, I'm going to die at the age of 53. And so these things are very real. And we're told that when we're Christians, we're told we should walk and live by faith. By faith in the Son of God who loves us and died for us. The scriptures tell us, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, we live day by day, step by step. Yes, certainly we can make our plans, but God orders our steps, and our step is a walk of faith. How many of you have had experiences in your life that if you'd seen your life mapped out in front of you, you would have gone, really? Is my life going to be that tough in that season? Yeah? Yeah. Exactly. There's some decisions you thought, well, I just won't go there. I won't make that decision. I won't take that job. I won't move to that house. I won't become friends with that person. You know? I won't have 10 kids. I'll only have three. <laughs> All right. I'm getting a bit, a bit overboard there. But if we knew what we aren't supposed to know, or at least told what we were thinking was going to happen, uh, told what was going to happen, we would think very differently about our lives, wouldn't we? So this is why these things mess us up spiritually. Mess us up spiritually. So let's have a look at what happens in this story. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring, for me, bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. Is it any surprise that he wants Samuel? Why? He wants his old buddy back again. His old mate that he used to be able to go and talk to before he died and say, hey, we've got a problem. The Philistines are in town again. What shall I do? But now he hasn't got the confidence to seek the Lord for himself. And through his lack of repentance, God is not speaking back to him. So now he's consulting a medium to consult the dead so he can speak to Samuel. Samuel says here, when the woman saw Samuel... She cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. 
Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. The end result doesn't justify the way of getting there, does it? Sometimes you just say, I just need a voice, any voice, any voice will do. Any voice will do. I'm just so desperate, I'm terror-filled, any voices, some, some voice and some advice. Hey, let me just drop one here on you that might ruin your day. But you just got to be really careful when you're using devotional readings, like Word for Today and Every Day with Jesus and whatever else you might be reading. Don't turn those into a form of a Christian horoscope. You know, oh, I'm looking for an answer. Lord, shall I go overseas for that holiday? And then you open the devotional. Oh, it's Jonah chapter 1. And Jonah went overseas. <laughs> oh, it's the will of the Lord. I'm going to book that trip to Hawaii. Okay? Don't you laugh. I've heard it before. You know, sure, God guides us, but everything has to be tested. Okay? Everything has to be tested. You can't just turn your, uh, your, your, your devotional life in some form into a daily horoscope, a Christian horoscope, okay? Seeking the will of God is about that. It's about seeking the will of God. It's about prayer. It'll be about fasting. It'll be about other people in on the conversation, not just flick a page one day and find what it is that you think is for you because it sort of suits you, yeah? What if the daily reading was, and God took Jesus into the arid places where he fasted for 40 days, yeah, you, know, you wouldn't. That's not the will of God. That sounds too hard. You know, overseas holiday, Hawaii, arid places. That can't be the will of God for me. See, we pick and choose the will of God. You notice that? Well, that's another conversation for another day, isn't it? So, what happens? This is an exciting story, isn't it? Samuel said, "Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done." What he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to, the one, to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That's not good news, by the way. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had not eaten, for he'd eaten nothing all that day and all that night. Wow. The truth is that God's will was going to be done. Once the prophet Samuel had identified David as the up-and-coming king, and once Saul's heart had hardened again and again and again and again, even to the point where he was trying to thwart or stop the purposes of God through David when he tried to kill him, there was nothing that he could do ultimately to stop what God was going to do. And so the story rolls out two chapters later. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them 
and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons. Jonathan, Abinadab, Malkishua, the fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. Tough job. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. The Lord had his will. Does this make God a vengeful God? Does this make God someone who's just seeking the blood of those who disobey him? Not at all. What we're saying here is that when you walk outside of the covering of God, when you choose to rebel, go your own way, and to the extreme case in this scenario here, where you're committing spiritual adultery by seeking out other spiritual revelation from, from demonic sources, this will be the end result. Just spiritual confusion, the inability to hear the Lord, and you remove yourself from his covering, therefore you are vulnerable to these horrible conclusions. But, but, there is hope. And the hope comes to us in the form of Christ, who we are told is pierced for our transgressions, upon whom every curse has been laid, and when we appeal to this, uh, this dramatic event in history, when we say to Christ, thank you, please forgive me for what I have done, then we can break the power of these curses, break the power of the bondage, break the chains that bind us and the mindsets that lock us down because of the stupidity of our chasing foreign gods. And if any of you here have ever intentionally got into a place where it's a, a seance or a Ouija board or you've chased down your horoscopes, uh, all of these things are going to screw you up mentally, screw you up emotionally, screw you up spiritually. They're going to mess with you and they're going to do damage to your soul and damage to your heart and mind because they're going to impact you in powerful ways that should never have been allowed to impact you at all. Because you've chased these foreign gods down, you need to seek forgiveness. And the only way you can do that is through repentance. And so therefore, if you've ever messed around with spiritual powers and principalities like this, and you've intentionally done this, you need to have an intentional and willful act of repentance. It's a simple transaction, isn't it? Like if you stole something, you give it back. That balances things out. If you've intentionally sought out demonic principalities and powers, looking for spiritual advice, it might have been just a bit of fun, messing around. If you've intentionally done it, you need to intentionally undo it. And that's why I raise for you the message of the forgiveness of the cross. And if you've, if you've never given your life to Christ, forgiveness is offered for all of your sins here at the foot of the cross. But that too requires an intentional act, a deliberate act. A choice where you say, I give my hands, sorry, I give my hands into Christ's hands, I give my life into Christ's hands, so that you can receive from him the forgiveness for your sins. And at that point in time, 
The transaction is completed because you have been forgiven because Christ died for your sins and for mine. But when we're talking about spiritual powers and principalities as we are today, we're talking about things that we mess around with often without even realizing the full conclusion of this. But what we see from Saul's life is the implications of it. Saul not only lost his own life, but the following generation as well. Even his most beloved son, Jonathan, who was David's close friend. And so we see from Saul's life how his lack of repentance and his messing around with spiritual and demonic powers caused a generation to be lost. And so subsequently, the next generation too will also have trouble, and we'll see that in the weeks ahead. But friends, let me say this. Saul suffered because he failed to be the big person. Saul suffered because he was always looking for someone else to bail him out of his spiritual problems. You are the big person in the room of your life. No one else can do this for you. You are the big person. You must take personal responsibility for what it is that you do spiritually and how you've conducted your life spiritually. You need to own this. No one else can do it for you. And no other place will ever be able to provide that opportunity for you. So I'm going to just invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to invite the music team to come out. And uh, we just want to create an opportunity for people to have prayer. Because there will be people who have inadvertently messed around with this stuff. And you need to get it right. We need to take the lessons from Scripture and apply them to ourselves. So let's, uh, let's stand, shall we? Let's close our eyes. Father, we come before you and we are, we are so impressed with the work of Jesus. We're so impressed with the completeness of our salvation. We're so impressed that Jesus' death on the cross breaks every sin, breaks every curse, forgives every sin. And we are so impressed with Jesus that we come to him today and we say, Lord, fill us afresh with a revelation that just helps us to, to, to put these things right, these spiritual challenges that we face. Help them to be put right by true repentance. Lord, folks here who will know that they, yeah, they need to do something about this because they've dabbled in these dark hearts without even fully appreciating how, how dark they are. And when I've spoken of curses, people can think of things that have been said to them that have bound them up and need to be broken, need to be broken off their lives so that they won't affect them any longer. So we agree together today, Lord, that you are Lord above all. You are King of Kings. You are to be high and lifted up. And we should have no spiritual adultery in this place because you are the Lord of all. You are the King of Kings. And it is your name and only your name by which we can be saved. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace poured out that offers forgiveness. We thank you for the personal choices that we can make, that we're not condemned, we're not stuck in this place forever, but through an act of repentance, Lord, we can seek forgiveness and be restored. 
We ask this so that Jesus will be glorified because of the tremendous gift that he has given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.